Coming to you from the KUCI headquarters in sunny Irvine, California, it's the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five with Paxton Wright. Tonight's guest, filmmaker and UCI professor, Disha Dushan, featuring music by Furball. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Paxton Wright. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Hey, folks, this is Paxton. Uh, I'm going to keep this monologue very brief today because we have got a whole mess of show for you. And it's, it's, not, it's not messy. In fact, it's, it's, it's quality. It's a very good one, but I just mean there's a lot of it. That's what I mean by mess. So uh, I'm already doing a terrible job of keeping this brief, so I'm going to move this along. On today's episode, I had Disha Dushan very uh, lucky and privileged to have her, very grateful to have her on, a fantastic filmmaker and a professor here at UCI, former professor of mine, talked about her work in the indie sphere, uh, the world of indie filmmaking on a whole, we even get a bit political with it, you will uh, see what I mean when we get there, Uh, that's for you to stay tuned for. Remember, if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at paxtonwright at kuci.org, that's p-a-x-t-o-n-w-r-i-g-h-t at kuci.ho-har- G. Now, folks, you can also find the podcast of this show. That's right, the podcast. If you tuned in last week, you heard the exciting news about that at KUCI colon the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five. And it's uh, it's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so you can check that out. Uh, I am going to stop rambling here because, as I said, a lot of ground to cover uh, in only an hour. So I'm going to get right to it. Enjoy my interview with Disha Dushan. Yes. Uh, Disha, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Paxton? Uh, I'm fantastic. Now, Disha, you are... Can I call you Disha? Should I call you Professor Dushan? What should we... What's, what's the... I mean, now that you've put me on the spot, I usually <laughs> say, call me Professor Deshaun, but yes, you can call me Deisha. Let's go with Deisha. For the sake yes. of, uh, for the sake of, <laughs> as as uh, loyal listeners will learn, the the word I learned last week was brevity. So for the sake of brevity, brevity yes. we'll go with uh, we'll go with Deisha. I love brevity as a writer. It's for the sake of brevity, it, absolutely. It's a thing as a writer that I still need to get better at, <laughs> um, but I'm learning slowly but surely. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Deisha. So you are as is already sort of been established you're a a uh, writer and a director um yes. a filmmaker i am a filmmaker yes yes and uh we met because i was in your class last quarter actually your screenwriting class yes but yeah i wanted to have you on to just sort of discuss your very impressive uh and lengthy career oh. now uh <laughs> thank you paxton <laughs> oh Deja, anytime oh it's the least i could do um but no i, I want to discuss some of your work uh okay. your history and your career where things are going from here and all that goodness now before we get into the uh the core of your work i actually kind of want to take things back a bit um, okay and go to sort of the the early days i know you have been a uh, a creative uh, individual for pretty much about as long as you can remember and I know you actually wrote your uh, first play when you were <laughs> 10 years old. Uh, That's like in a bio somewhere. Uh, it's yes. <laughs> one of several bios. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I wrote a, the first play, I believe I was about 10, at least the first one that I document. It was like it was an adaptation right? Um, of Cinderella. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was um, something, you know, that was Cinderella in my voice. Kind of, it was Cindy, 
you Cindy. know, and <laughs> she was from our neighborhood. Right. And um, and I think we, we put it on at my elementary school. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? so it, it became a full-fledged. Yeah, yeah uh, I was like a producer. I didn't even realize, but I like went to the principal. I'm like, hey, I have this play. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Can I use the multi-use room? Right. Can we do auditions? <laughs> They're like, what? And I don't really even know where I got any of that from. I yeah. just knew that I wanted to tell the story. And I had a friend, you know, come on, let's co-write this thing together. So, right. yeah, I've been trying to do it for a long time. And so, and so it was a... Uh, so it was essentially a uh, what what they've done with you know the works of like Shakespeare and such with like sure. the 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 Romeo plus Juliet sure. and the it's my take on it. Exactly. I didn't know it was my take on it. I just knew we're like we're gonna do like Cinderella. It's gonna be Cindy, right? right. Like that's <laughs> that's that's very that's very twentieth century. Yeah, let's let's talk into it. It was the eighties. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, it's funny that you mentioned that actually because uh, I did when I was. In like second grade, we had mm-hmm. to do. Uh, there was an assignment where we had to write our own takes on uh, famous fables. Nice. And I did Cinderella, and it was a uh, cinder block. Okay. And it was just the it was Cinderella, but she was a cinder block, and it was Excellent. basically the same story. But it was a good time. <laughs> so we're uh, uh, birds of a feather in that regard. And so, was there like a cut and dry moment where you knew that you were a storyteller, or was it kind of a developing thing that? Took a long time, or was it like an epiphany moment? It was a developing thing that took a while. I mean, I did that play thing, and then, you know, you don't do it again. Then you Mm -hmm. kind of go on, and, you know, I danced a little. I was, you know, I had a singing group in high school. You know, I thought I was going to be, like, the next in vogue. You know, it was like, (laughs) I went down a lot of different paths, and... um, I'd auditioned for plays and I did like just small stuff like chorus stuff, but I wasn't really, I felt like I got really clear in the singing group days that it was like, you know what? I'm not really that talented that way. Sure, <laughs> right? sure. So, so I knew I wanted to do something behind the scenes, but there just wasn't a template for us. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't something you went to the movies, but you never really thought about who was making the movie i think for me as growing up as a black person as an african-american girl woman it just wasn't on the radar i mean i think roughly around the time when i saw the color purple when i was really young was the first time that it just kind of opened my mind to the reality that we could be on screen in a story about us right and then that led me to Alice Walker and to read Alice Walker so I was definitely charmed by some of the the brilliant writers of the time the novelists mm-hmm. um, and went on to fall in love with Toni Morrison's work much later when I could grasp it right. <laughs> but that was like really early and then of course like most African-American filmmakers will say that came through my generation will say that's you know Spike Lee so when Spike Lee came about then it was like oh, there's someone who makes a movie. I could make a movie? Right. How does that happen? But it wasn't until I actually, I, I had to stay practical, until I was in college mm-hmm. and was took a class. Right. And then, and even then I was telling my parents, like, well, you know, I'll just, like, I'm going to minor in this, and then I'm going to go to law school, and then right. I'm going to, and then it just kept shifting and morphing till I was, like, majoring and then minoring in business, and I'll still go to law school. Then it was like, well, I'm majoring in film, and then I'm minoring in photography, and I'm going to film school. So right. it, 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 it kind of came about over time. That was know? actually something that when I was, when I was doing my research, I noticed, uh, 
a very I think classic path for a lot of uh, initially apprehensive filmmakers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. creatives was uh, the 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 undergrad major in comms. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. Uh, <laughs> Howard? It's yeah, always, yeah, yeah. It's always <laughs> the one where it's like where it's like I. I know what I want to do, yeah, but yeah. is it safe to do it? I don't. Yeah, uh, you don't. And, yeah, you have no. It's just like all we had was Spike, right. and then we had John Singleton, and right. still, that's very male. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, so you don't quite know what to make of that. You know, there's something called film school, and then you, you know, you go, and that's all you really know. And right. so I think you're just kind of finding your way. But the bug for me bit like really hard when I made the first project. It was a group project. I pitched an idea um, and we had to shoot an eight millimeter film. And I always try to duplicate this project. It's very difficult to do now. But the project that we did at the time was um, you had to shoot eight millimeter film in camera edit, one minute film. So you had to like pre-arrange, you had to (laughs) pre-arrange all of your shots and everything that you were going to do and shoot it in order. Mm -hmm. So I pitched this idea. I thought I wanted to shoot you know, something poetic, some, you know, where my head was at the time, something lyrical, um, and it was about love, and it was about these two people, and I was going to use this Michelle and Dege Ocello music, and we were going to shoot near the monument, and I wanted to see water. I didn't really know. I was just, like, spitting this stuff out, and one of my collaborators in the group, he was formerly a graphic artist, so he was literally drawing these things, and we were doing storyboards, and we didn't even know what that was, right. but we just knew, like, this is what we wanted to see, and so he would just draw it as I was describing it. Right. And then we went out and shot this thing, and then you turned in the cartridge. So you're not, there's no monitor, you're just looking through a little eyepiece and you're mm-hmm. trying to shoot and coordinate these things in order with the sequencing and the pacing the way you think you want it to fall. You turn in the cartridge. Then the professor takes it to the lab and then we come back the following class and we project it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the magic of projecting that thing that I'd said in the group and then we went out and cast it and shot it and it had the monument and the water, that was like magical. I, I just I fell in love, mm-hmm. and so I've been with it ever since. And you were how old at that time? Mm, maybe 20, 21, mm-hmm. somewhere around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20, 21. And so up, up until that point, it was it was, biz, it was a reluctant business in school at that point? or I mean, it was, it was um, communications. Right, you know, so right. it was communications and psychology and math and GEs, you know? Um, And, you know, Howard is its own unique experience in itself because Mm -hmm. you're taking sociology from the perspective of the African diaspora, which is a little different. So it was already a blast. I was having a great time. Mm -hmm. But academically, or knowing what I wanted to do, other than get a degree and get a good job, didn't really, like, lock itself in until around that moment. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's such a common thing for uh, uh, college students is, I mean, uh, it's all due respect to the people who go into college knowing exactly what exactly they want to do and finish do. it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's an enviable thing. But right. so many people find their way during their college many after their college years. And there's so <laughs> you much know? you it's, don't know right. about. Like, you just don't know that that's like a job, that someone can be an editor or someone can be a screenwriter. And I still didn't know even then. I just mm. knew that I loved it. Right. And I wanted to do it. Right. Yeah. And it was, it must have been really exciting to come up because this was, Sort of right around, sort of in the uh, the just post or during the peak of the uh, sort of 
renaissance of like guerrilla indie filmmaking kind of with with people like i mean so i guess spike lee had been around for a little mm-hmm, while by that mm-hmm. point but then uh john singleton yes uh you know your kevin smith's uh, mm-hmm. your cohen brothers yes i mean so that must have been something that once you you sunk your teeth into it yeah i think for us i mean pro and con perhaps i'm not sure but again being black kids Mm-hmm. Like what was whatever was happening in the indie scene didn't touch us. Like right. we just we weren't seeing it. We didn't know about it. Or and I'm not saying we didn't because I'm sure there were some cinephiles in my group who were you know reaching for it. But it was more you know it was like foreign films and then what was happening in Hollywood. And so for us in the 90s, it's interesting because it's like when I go back and look at the timeline, I'm like it was a pretty amazing timeline. Like. Boys in the Hood came out in 91 before I went. Mm -hmm. I think Juice came out when I was in high school with Tupac and Omar Epps. And that was, and we went to the movies and saw that. So just thinking about these are the things we go to the movies and see and had a great impact on me. Boomerang, Eddie Murphy's Boomerang, which was something he hadn't done before with, he was producing for himself and it was a black cast and a black director and black writers. And it was like the beginning of the African-American kind of rom-com thing Mm -hmm. was happening. That had a huge impact on us. But I was a freshman and saw Malcolm X in the movie theater and that like blew us away as well so I'm discovering this in the midst of these things happening later another film Love Jones comes out while we're while we're in college and then the indie works like Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust comes out like in 91 and we're grappling with that my professor at Howard Haile Garima Sankofa comes out like in 91 and you know I'm interning and kind of learning about what it is to be an indie filmmaker to forewall your own movie to get financing from overseas right and have this really unique and different perspective that is not attempting to duplicate or mimic anything that the industry or Hollywood was doing so it was all those things were kind of coming at me at once and then when you land in film school Eve's Bayou by um Casey Lemons is playing in in Westwood so it's just like For us, I just think it was really important to be able to see that we were a part of it or we could be a part of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Casey Lemons. uh, Yeah. And and she was a sort of a mentor to you at one point. So she was a mentor. So crazy thing is, yes, Eve's Body was playing in Westwood (laughs) when when I arrived in Westwood (laughs) or somewhere in that fall, right? In that fall season. Sorry to clarify, but you went to a UCLA film school following Howard. Yeah, so I applied to film school from Howard. I'd fallen in love with it. I thought, maybe I'll go to film school. Mm -hmm. And my parents were like, well, what is that? And what do you do with that? And then I convinced them. I was like, hey, I could always teach. (laughs) (laughs) So don't worry. I'll be okay. I'll be able to work. (laughs) So I got into UCLA and that was felt like such a triumph um, because it was competitive and Mm -hmm. you had to interview. And um, but again I think that probably solidified the the idea of the storyteller because we had to write a statement of purpose and I had been advised by Haile and by another professor at UCLA that to apply you want to make sure that in that statement of purpose you sound like a storyteller a Mm. visual storyteller and that like and that's what probably got me the interview Mm -hmm. right so I get to UCLA and um, yeah, so I was there. And so 
um, Eve's Bayou was playing in Westwood. And I saw the, saw it. So then I think I'd met her once on a panel somewhere. I was really eager. And, you know, as you are, like, please, I would love to, you know, do something with you. And that that was like, okay, that's sweet. But it, was, it wasn't until I applied to Film Independence Project Involved. Um, and they said, well, who would you like to be your mentor if you had an opportunity to be mentored? And I said, Carl Franklin. Mm-hmm. who had directed Devil in a Blue Dress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd seen him speak before, or Casey Lemons, you know. And then they were like, well, why should you have Casey Lemons? Because, she, you know, a lot of people want Casey Lemons. Right. And, and I was like, why should I? I mean, and I had this whole case about, like, I am the best fit for right. Casey Lemons. Right. Um, and I just kind of went with that really confidently, and I was really blessed to get her as my mentor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the, the film you worked on with her was? Caveman's Valentine. Right. Um, so I was fortunate for Caveman to, because I was a film student at the time. So it was a couple of things that I did for caveman one was that i got to shadow her so Mm -hmm. before like shadowing was even a big thing but it was just like if you want to come could you get yourself to new york i'm like yes i can (laughs) so i flew myself to new york and and you know slept on some couches and um shadowed her on that film sam jackson was in that film right um so i really got the opportunity to see a feature being made up close right like really intimately so and the beautiful thing about what you know and Casey has mentored so many people I'm just like point one at this point um um, because she's a professor as well at NYU and so she's had numerous mentees but she's just so generous and so so open so I was literally with her behind the monitor in the trailer at the dailies you know so I had that experience with her and then later because I was a student I was able to be the post-production intern so then i was the intern right. during during the summer right. when they were cutting it so correct me if i'm wrong okay but this was before or after sort of your first i mean not not your first short film but your mm-hmm. first one to sort of make a real uh to make real ripples was uh episodes if i'm not mistaken ah yes. yeah so i think it's interesting because i can't remember the timeline exactly i do remember that i'd shot episodes while casey was mentoring me mm-hmm because I remember asking her if she would come look at my dailies. Right. So I think Caveman probably happened after episodes was cut or I was cutting it or finishing it or starting to do film festivals. But I remember because I was so impressed with that. Like I was like, yeah, well, I'm working on this. You want to come look at my daily? She was like, sure, I'll come up there. Like, so she comes, you know, to campus and right. in the Range Rover and right. we're like in the hallway and people were like, what Feeling is so going on? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, come <laughs> <laughs> We're like, that's that Casey Lemons. Like, yes, that's Casey Lemons <laughs> coming to look at my dailies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Step I think <laughs> I was in the process of doing episodes around that time. And, and so... Episodes, though, if you uh, could you just uh, describe that film for us a bit? Mm, Episodes. So, episodes, let's see, it's about a woman who is, I wish I had the log. See, I don't have the log line memorized. (laughs) What was the log line? It's only only been 19 (laughs) years. You're like, you're supposed to have the log line. Uh, Um, No, you know, it's it's about a young woman who comes home to reconnect with the best friend of hers who and 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 the reconnection is a tough reconnection because they're in different places now and she's found that relationship to be 
challenging to say the least right because her friend has had some bouts of depression which I don't even think I actually knew at the time I don't know how, what to label it or whatever but it, I would say now it's 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 bouts of depression and um, but in their reconnection and their period of coming back together she actually learns more about herself right. <laughs> than than she thought you know she was coming back more as a chore and then realizes something about herself and, and has a little moment of growth right when they come back together so yeah yeah and this this film uh like i said made uh made a pretty significant impact it was uh uh it was screened at the uh, jamaican film festival in yeah. 2000 yeah i uh, received the ucla spotlight award in mm-hmm. 2001 it was a finalist in the hbo short film competition at the Acapulco Film Fest in 2001. Mm-hmm. I mean, among others, was also, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, screened uh, at Cannes at the American at Pavilion. At the American Pavilion. It was, right. uh, and that was actually like as a result of the Directors Guild has this really cool student award that they give. And, the, you know, they usually give it to underrepresented groups, but there's a, a women's filmmaker award, African American filmmaker. So I'd won an award through the Directors Guild, and they took a group of us to the American Pavilion to, right. to screen our work. So, yeah. And so, in the wake of all that, it mm-hmm. just makes me think like, I, I don't know. I, I'm curious about where your head was at as uh, as a, a you know a, a, a budding up and coming student, like right. in the wake <laughs> of all this praise and and prestige um, at this point, yeah. like it, with with your you know uh, uh, your student film. Right. I mean, were you kind of uh, a bit cocky, like I'm only up from here, or were you terrified, like it can never yeah. be this good again? Where where was your head at? What was, yeah. So I was gonna say I was so humble and I wasn't cocky until you were like, which one was I was like, oh, oh I was totally. It's only up from here. Um, like, that's how. That's not how. Not to say that there's a one or the other. No, I mean. but I mean, just being honest in reflection, I may have been a little bit, a little bit cocky, but I, I, I think I tried to remain humble. But again, it did feel like it was only up from here. I mean, right. because I was in such close proximity to seeing it happen right. for my mentor, mm-hmm. right, and seeing things happen around, it just felt. Like a good time, sure. Um, so it was exciting, right? Yeah. See, that's the thing is like, cause I just I, I I wonder what kind of reaction. Let's say tomorrow, mm-hmm. this show is like ah, oh, Paxton, you're being put in the Radio <laughs> Hall of Fame. Uh, you're you're going to the Webbies. Like yeah. I, I don't know if I would like. Would I be like I'm a hot shot? I'm yeah. a star, or would I, like, I don't know how I'd react. But I will um, say this. I feel like because I was grounded in my Howard experience, mm-hmm. and I'd worked with, you know, I'd been an intern at Maifadu and worked with Haile Garima and his wife, Shabikiana, um, and seen filmmaking for the love of filmmaking for the purpose, for the story, for mm-hmm. what I'm saying, I did kind of have, like, the a range where I saw people working in Los Angeles and making a lot of money and making movies that are in Westwood but I also was still very grounded in that Mm -hmm. and I I remember even when I met my husband because he was like oh yeah you'll you're gonna make a lot of money and I was like well I was always from the beginning like I don't know about that like it's a possibility money could be made money could be (laughs) made but that's not in, that's not really why I'm doing this entirely. Right. And I knew that there was range, and I just knew that I was committed. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and that's of course not to say that things did slow down because things uh, right. you of course didn't sit on your laurels. You <laughs> kept releasing a consistent 
body of work that that's the beauty of of school is that it's like there's another project due because that was a project so that was episodes was an advanced project right and then i still had to make my thesis Mm -hmm. yeah and your thesis was uh was whispers was whispers yeah and that was a that was a short thriller if you want to i i this one i I haven't had access to i've seen clip of it on your reel i saw your reel you saw the clip yeah so So, um whispers is about like see log lines um whispers (laughs) it's about a man who has an interesting day um and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Um, it's about a man who has an interesting day, but it's really a question of whether he's having, he finds himself, he, he has an interesting day on the subway. He sees his girlfriend who's dead and he follows her mm-hmm. and um, he's guilt ridden and he feels responsible for her death. And so that comes out, you know, it's revealed that, you know, he caused the car accident or he was driving in the accident that she died in. But it's really a story about someone who's going a bit mad. Right. Or is he? Or is he having a spiritual experience that's making him have a reckoning with his guilt? Right. And, you know, so throughout that journey of the day on the subway, on the street, because he ends up in a bank in the end Mm -hmm. with the gun in his hand and he feels like he's being set up because he sees all the people from his day. So it's this whole play on the shape-shifting tricksters that are kind of moving about, kind of making this happen for him. So... That was the that was the gist of it. Those right. whispers, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And of course, that was. I mean, I won't go down the whole laundry list again. But this, was, of course, was also met with a uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, praise and prestige as this mm. came out. Was there another moment? Was there one singular moment that you would say you would qualify as sort of the proudest moment of your career? Mm. Um, I know it's a weighty question, but uh, oh, I don't know if there the is proudest a singular moment. moment. There, I don't know if there's a singular moment. Because sometimes it's the smaller moments. It's like when someone gets your work Mm -hmm. or someone comes up to you after and says, you know, just even with some of the work that I've done recently, more about grief and loss, when people come up and say, my mother died. You know, like those are those moments feel like the proudest. But I will say two moments that were really exciting in film school. One was when I got the DGA award and and they got Casey to give me the DGA award mm-hmm. and my mom was there. So it just felt like I had arrived because I was in the DGA and Casey Lemons was giving me an award. Um, but also too, when Whisper screened at Sundance. Right. Um, right. I think that felt like a very proud moment because up until that point, because the Jamaican Film Festival, the Acapo- the formerly the Acapulco Black Film Festival, now the American Black Film Festival, you know, I was kind of moving my way and happily so through the niche festivals of African American Black Film Festivals, right. um, which nurtured me and were the first to show my work which is fantastic, but Sundance was the first with that much prestige, right? right. And so to be in that big fabula- fabulous kind of um, celebration of cinema was was a very proud moment. Right. Yeah. And making your way through uh, those, those, uh, those uh, predominantly black film festivals, mm-hmm. was that, I mean, you mentioned, uh, again, being influenced um, by films like Malcolm X, by, mm-hmm. by uh, directors like John Singleton, mm-hmm. uh, uh Casey Lemons, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so that again must have tied back to that sort of awe that you felt when you were younger mm-hmm. by films like this, mm-hmm. by by stories mm-hmm. that un- understood and and spoke to your identity. Yeah. Um, that must have felt like you were really 
getting to be a part of this thing that you had always admired and, and yeah. looked up to. Yeah, no, sure. It was exciting because also, too, because you're not alone, which I do think, you know, Howard and my experience at Howard kind of planted those seeds in me. So even when I got to UCLA, you know, I've heard people from underrepresented groups, especially for, for African-American filmmakers, sometimes you'll get to these film schools and you feel unsupported or or you're not finding your tribe or finding your community to really kind of help you make that work and you're doing it on the outside. I feel like I, A, was standing on the shoulders of the LA Rebellion and so many of the filmmakers that had come before me at UCLA who had really pushed to make the faculty a little bit more diverse and inclusive. Mm -hmm. So I had professors like Nima Barnett and Johnny Simmons who were working filmmakers to be there to be supportive. But also, too, I was reaching out to my community like, you know, one of my first my first DP that I was working with was at AFI, but we'd made a film together at Howard before. Mm -hmm. And so I was already connected to community is my point. You know, right. the first film that I made that didn't win any awards or anything was Saphir. That was one of the first, but first little project I made, I think it was the six minute project. It was called Saphir. And I went on campus and found the West African dance class. Right. And I casted them in the movie and I casted the teacher in the movie. So I was already really community oriented. So I feel like the film festivals were just an extension of that. Just really connecting with community. Right. Yeah. And so uh, a recent body of work, a recent uh, piece of work that you did, um, that I, I was <laughs> I, I was I found very entertaining and sort of a diversion from a lot of what you've done um, or maybe not as much you can tell me yeah was uh, the music video oh, you did yeah. for um, for uh, uh, verbal just yeah. the stage name for the actor uh, Malcolm Barrett yes is known for his work on the sort of cult series Better Off Ted yeah, uh, yeah. the Hurt Locker and then other cult series like Preacher and Timeless mm -hmm. um. How did that? How did that come about? Because that video is so fun. And silly <laughs> and like. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Malcolm, you know, he's in my community, so mm -hmm. he's really good friends with my brother Darian. They went to NYU together, and so, um, and you know, he's such a brilliant talent, and he had directed some things for my brother, so we knew each other, and so we had talked about working together and he was like hey do you want to do this music it was really that simple right and um because i was so busy teaching and stuff at the time i kind of just leapt to the opportunity like yeah you know what it would be great to do something that i don't have to produce right. <laughs> and let me pull in so i brought in my um one of my collaborators and ucla brothers jerry henry who's a cinematographer i brought him in and I just wrote the treatment for it really quickly. You know, we talked about it and I kind of wrote it up, you know, very much like a script because I'm a screenwriter. So I wrote, wrote this, you know, script about him, you know, the, the nerds and running through the hallways and right. seeing and then him seeing himself and what that meant in the end. And so, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And we shot it like on a weekend and it, and it was cool. And it just gave me, you know an opportunity to exercise my chops a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that was uh, that was something that was uh, interesting to me as well was the the fact that it is I, I just want to know how much sort of creative control you had over the aesthetics mm -hmm, of the video mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because that's one of the things I really appreciated was that uh, you it has just this really interesting balance mm -hmm. of of a very colorful palette mm -hmm. but it's not like oversaturated mm -hmm. and it's actually a little bit um, 
especially like in the hallways of the school, mm-hmm. a little bit muted at certain mm-hmm. points. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this really interesting balance. I don't. Was that was that sort of your jurisdiction? How much of that was? Sort it was of a collaborative. I would say it's a collaboration for sure. Yeah. Um, but it felt like the ease. I just remember it feeling really easy. Yeah. Like me and Malcolm sitting on the couch with the editor, who was also you know a great collaborator of his, for us sitting there after the first rough cut going. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we just were, we seemed to be very much in sync with what, and I remember the editor saying, yeah, it came together like Legos, where for me as a director, it just felt like that was the ultimate compliment, because it meant that I had put the coverage together in a way that he could just snap it together. So yeah, I think right. it was, it was very much a collaboration, because, you know, when you're making a v- music video, it is about the artist and kind of about, it's, it's less of just my story and my vision, and also, you know, a, a bit about you know who verbal is and right. and the story we want to tell for that so, right yeah and and so that was like i feel like that has to be as someone who's not a director i i mm-hmm. this is all speaking from hearsay from other people <laughs> and just sort of what i've been able to gather right. as a spectator right um i feel like music videos have to be a pretty different beast from doing like a narrative short mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. in terms of that you know not to say that Things like aesthetics aren't important mm-hmm. um, in short films. They are, but uh, music video. There is, of course, uh, a an increase in uh, the significance of them, while simultaneously a really good and memorable one will have more beyond just looking unique. Yeah, and you still yeah. have to convey a narrative or a, or a theme. Yeah, all through lyrics. I mean, what is that process like? How how does it compare to doing straight film for hmm. you? I, don't, I mean, I think um, I very much treated it like a narrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, this I think this video might be a little bit different in that way. But also, too, like the, the beginnings of my filmmaking were more like montage style stuff anyway. Right. You know, so it really came out of the song. He like sent me the song. We kind of talked about, you know, how he wanted to keep the Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, the... Um, the Better Off Ted character. Right. So, of course, then I'm watching Better Off Ted, you know, and right. I'm getting a sense of what who he was on there. And I'm like, oh, so this is about, you know, verbal and that character mm-hmm. kind of facing off with one another. And right. so, yeah, it really just came out of that. But then I, th- I literally wrote a script. So I listened to the music, I watched the show, and I wrote a script. So it was, I, I would say it was a really similar process right. to, to making a narrative project. But, you know, then also just a lot of fun, too, in terms of moving down the hallway and creating all this fun montage stuff, the stuff that you saw in the lab, you know, working on fast motion. It, it frees you a little bit to just kind of play with visuals right um in a way that where you're not as um nailed down to continuity and, and stuff as much as you would for for a narrative piece right mm-hmm. and that must have been a lot of fun too just getting to uh, not just with uh with with malcolm but working with uh, a lot of the cast of Better yeah Off Ted too with like, yes. Portia de Rossi. i know uh, yes <laughs> it, was, it was and that was like a that was one of the things too was, and i was so impressed that he was because the show had just been canceled i think right. so it was it was very exciting that they all came out to support malcolm to get this far little yeah. project yeah and i remember that was that was something cool because last night when i was doing research i mm-hmm. wanted to i had always heard of better off ted right, like, right, right. but i you know i was part of the problem with that show not the yeah, solution. yeah. <laughs> i didn't support it when it was right, on right but uh you know going through and watching clips of it yesterday like mm-hmm. i was 
hysterical. It was right. So far, I'm like, I think I'm gonna be yeah. probably getting on that bandwagon uh, now. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, so very fun. Uh, must have been a lot of fun to do that. Um, I also want to talk about uh, a more recent work of yours, okay. which was. Um, a film you directed, you didn't write it, but you directed was a uh, uh, Zin Sheen Sheen. Okay, and I'm probably still not saying it correctly okay. because it's in Mandarin, but it's Sheen. Well, we'll we'll be uh, we'll be doing our, <laughs> our best with uh, X I N. Yes, the, yes, uh, the, together. And it's for it means heart. It's heart. Yes, that's yes. right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so is, uh, Sheen is yes. a <laughs> is a uh, sort of psychological supernatural thriller, but it's also a sort of intimate character yeah. drama. I, d- I definitely see it as a a drama, and it's a drama with a little bit, you know, it's a psychological drama. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. thrillers, it's not, you know, Black Swan or anything. Sure. You know, but point being, yeah, it's a bit more, it's a bit more intimate, but it basically centers on the kind of uh, mental anguish and mm-hmm. trauma of mm-hmm. a woman who's uh, been dealing with a lot of visions of her dead mother and her absent father in the midst of her mother's passing yes. and dealing with it and there's, yes. a, there's a motif of dealing with it in a mm-hmm. very um which i really liked was the uh very socal therapist uh, <laughs> well <laughs> you know and um it exists one thing that i really thought was interesting about it was that it exists almost entirely in like a perpetual kind of dream and or nightmare state mm-hmm. was, at least uh, that was sort of my yeah viewing of, was that an intentional choice yeah i mean it's very much about the interior life of Elaine, you right. know, and it starts in a therapy session. And so we definitely were playing with that. Is mm-hmm. she awake? Is she asleep? Is this haunting her now in real time? Is this in the past? Because we wanted to take the journey with her. Yeah, and I thought that was just interesting is the way um, lighting was played with, too, mm. in the film, um, which I think conveyed that a lot. Often it's very... Um, soft and bright mm-hmm. or very hard and dark sure, um, yeah. <laughs> and then there's there's really steep contrast depending on the scene sure but that is sort of what i mean by capturing the, the psyche of the character sure. played by um tina huang right, yes um who also wrote the film she did so yeah. tina comes out of that same nyu camp mm-hmm. um so she's also really good friends with my brother darian she's actually in the revenge of the nerds video she's one of the nerds running oh, she's oh, the no girl kidding. nerd yeah oh. <laughs> so um um, you know, yeah, that was our first time working together. But again, her and um, Malcolm and Carla Mosley, another actress that I've worked with, um, they all come from that that right. same camp, that NYU camp. Right. Yeah. And then most recently was covered. Um, Interesting. It's actually covered was shot first. I don't. It comes up in the timeline oh, okay. that way, but I'd actually done covered first. That's I, that's what I was confused by because mm-hmm. I saw things when I was looking it up that indicated that covered came out. Uh, yeah, it's something about and, it's something about IMDb. I'm just like that. Put that up like way before, but I th- I don't know what happened. Okay. But anyway, it came out before. Okay. Yes. Well, then that's that's what I thought because I know you. Um, that also features uh, Carla Carla, Carla Mosley, Mosley mm-hmm. um, who was also in uh, Sheen as well, yes. playing the playing the yes. SoCal therapist. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, your brother Darian, who you mentioned yes. earlier. Yes. And then Malcolm also has a cameo in that. And oh he's no, one of the producers. Yeah. Right. So was that the first time you worked with your brother? Uh, oh my time? gosh, no. So Darian is in Whispers. Really? So that was my brother. Well, actually, okay. So my brother and I have worked with each other um, since 
my very first, one of my very early UCLA projects mm-hmm. um, called Saphir, the one I mentioned before where, you know, it's about a boy who has to catch his rhythm and he's trying to live, you know, in two worlds. It's kind of integrated life and then also be kind of comfortable in his own skin and his own community. And he really wants to talk to this girl in the African dance class. Right. And, I, you know, it's he has to catch his rhythm with the djembe drum. So mm-hmm. that's the first film that I did with him. And I think he might have been in high school when we did that film. He might have been like a high school senior when we shot that film. And I was at UCLA. Right. And then we've worked together. You know, he was in Whispers, Mm -hmm. the one that went to Sundance. And um, he does a lot of his own uh, one man shows and things like that. So I've offered, you know, I've directed some of those multimedia pieces that he'll have within the show. So little interstitials. Mm. We've done quite a bit of work with that together as well. Um, and then he was uncovered. Now, I wanted to sort of get into some kind of uh, mm-hmm. l- larger scale questions. Um, okay. But so you've worked, I mean, pretty predominantly in the indie sphere um, mm-hmm. your entire career. Now, uh, is there much interest in, as I said, kind of going larger mm-hmm. scale and going in Hollywood? I mean, beyond uh, uh, monetarily, that not being an issue, yeah, purely yeah. based on the freedom you have. Um, with your work based monetarily based on of course your yeah. income um budget still being of course a, yeah. a matter I mean you know it's interesting because we're we're in a renaissance right now I think so what happened I think for for those of us who were more kind of indie based or just in general is the economy tanked in 2008 mm-hmm. and so then you know indie films got smaller and smaller and that door that seemed like it was so wide open for so many of us seemed to be kind of narrowing right. um and so thus teaching you know <laughs> so it's like you sure. start shifting and um and you know in that process you know i'd be writing something here and there for someone or you know pick up a little job or writing something of my own and having children raising my family doing those other things um but now i feel like with the whole it's so much happening but you know with the the Issa ray and the donald glover and the ava right. duvernay you know, it just seems like the door, you know, and Rami on Amazon mm-hmm. and Crazy Rich Asians just seems like the doors are kind of widening for for um, people who are interested in making, you know, works about women and people of color and the LGBTQ community. It just seems like it's widening. Right. And so, yeah, the hope is still there to, to, to make stuff. But I do feel like TV has gotten incredibly more interesting mm-hmm. in addition to being able to make features right um television has kind of opened up a a door that i feel like i personally am a lot more interested in because it feels like so much so much interesting cinematic stuff is happening in the long narrative yeah and and the way that um sort of diy era Mm -hmm. has kind of blown up Mm -hmm. in recent years too with i mean you mentioned Issa rae who Mm -hmm. got her start doing web series yeah and i mean and that just you know took off Mm -hmm. and now she is uh doing one of the best shows on television right now i'd say um i mean that is so that's just got to be really exciting but also i think a bit nerve-wracking too i talked about uh, this with a guest of mine a while back who's Mm -hmm. um actually uh an indie video game developer, but talking okay. about how that pool has now yeah. opened up so much. Well, that, yeah. I don't know if we're on the same page, but 
that yes it's it's opened up but it's also heavily saturated that's what i mean yeah Yeah, it's also so you i because i'm teaching students as well i try to say that Mm -hmm. like yeah it's you know it's it's wide open but it's also heavily saturated it's just so much to look there's so much that i like that i can't even get to all of it Mm -hmm. i can't even watch all of it right um and so yeah, the door is a little bit wider, but I would say it's also still very challenging. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. that was sort of that was sort of what I was, you know, getting at with with him uh my my previous guest too mm-hmm. was that it has to be so exciting to know that these tools are now readily available yeah. to you and when you have something good sure. you can do it, but on the same token, you now have to work 20 times as hard to sure. grab the attention of the masses. Yeah. Um, more than 20 times. <laughs> like yeah. 20, and then also times. I feel like the, the zeitgeist is really, you know, it's kind of like what story are you telling and does it hit right on the thing that everybody wants to see right. in the moment? And so I feel like there's some like clever things that are happening like that, like Handmaid's Tale, you know, mm-hmm. like those are just like, it's just the right moment right. at just the right time. Um, but if you're not doing that, if you're just doing something that's a drama about a family or someone struggling with not identity, but maybe their mental health when they're 50 or 60 years old, that might be less interesting right. <laughs> to the zeitgeist. Right? right. So how do you get that work through? Or right. if you're not doing. Yeah. So it's. It's still challenging. It's, do you want to appeal to the zeitgeist or do you want to appeal to a niche? And I think um, it's just uh, one last sort of topic I want to delve into before we wrap this up mm-hmm. um, was uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, art appealing to the zeitgeist and appealing mm-hmm. to the here and now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in your films, like, like I said, you, you and like you've said, you know, it, you, they really delve into identity, mm-hmm. the human experience, uh, mm-hmm. particularly for uh, people of color and mm-hmm. women. And in the light of the direction things have gone in the last few years mm. uh, <laughs> on a national scale, yeah. um, given the, I mean, yeah, I, given, I, I, you know, I, I generally try to make this show fairly apolitical, yeah, but yeah. in the light of, especially uh, the president's comments last week, sure. um, horrifying comments yeah. that are receiving really no blowback from his party, you know, yeah. I, there's no real reason to, to defend or pretend like that's not happening. And seeing the way his his uh, followers rally around it with such enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember when this administration started, there was so much talk. I mean, it continues to excuse me. Uh, it yeah. continues to it continues to go on. This this sentiment has not ended, and it, nor should it. I don't think. Mm-hmm. But it it raises a lot of new questions. I think, especially lately, of this idea of. Uh, you know, the voice of artists and the voice of the mm. underrepresented are becoming so much more important now yeah. than ever. Yeah. Uh, and while that's true, what, what is nerve wracking to me is seeing how little people's perceptions at the beginning of this, no matter what side they're on, seem to have changed or mm. evolved in a lot of ways. Right. And I don't want to be a pessimist or doom and gloom. Yeah. But it seems like, you know, the this enthusiasm of, well, we got to get the artists out there we gotta yeah. we gotta show the people what is happening at the highest levels of power yeah it doesn't seem necessarily like the message is getting through in all the right ways or is it I know. i'm not quite sure i feel like i'm really disappointed in the moment mm-hmm. you know my daughter doesn't remember any i mean literally she was born and obama was the president and right. she was watching 
you know, Princess Tiana, Princess and the Frog in the movie theaters mm-hmm. at three. Like, so she didn't know that there was a time. I mean, she knew from us telling her in history that there was a time where maybe you weren't included as much. Right. But they came in that time and then that just blew away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really take a lot of my cues just listening to them talk about how devastated they are right. with this current moment. Right. And the things that the occupant of the office <laughs> I right. love when Ayanna Presley says the occupant. <laughs> the occupant of the office can say and get away with. That being said, for me, understanding my history, again, being steeped in so much of my experience at Howard, it's kind of like, but you knew this, right? Right. I feel like we were very steeped in understanding and an understanding about how deep this oppression is and how powerful white supremacy is. And so and that what's interesting to me is that that we were unable to even say the term in mixed company for many, many years. It just got popular recently that now they will say white supremacy right. on the news. And we're like, wow, we can say that because right. <laughs> <now." laughs> we all knew it <laughs> before. We're all very aware of mm-hmm. what it is and how it works. So it's not a revelation to us, right. but it's a revelation to the rest of the country. But I do think what's disappointing is like that no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and they don't really care. Yeah. And so that's what's very frustrating. But I and and it also feels like um, because the choir of voices of people of color and the underrepresented, you know, are getting louder and louder and telling their stories more and having more visibility that it appears like white supremacy doesn't want to die easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so it's just not going to die. It, was, it wasn't just going to go out easy. Of course. Like, so it's a full on. So I, for me, I'm just like, shout louder. Yeah. More voices, bigger choir, mm-hmm. more of your stories. Keep pushing. It's a revolution. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. It's a revolution of ideas. It's a revolution of whose voice matters. And so to me, like those beautiful four congresswomen, they make me so proud mm-hmm. when they stand there and just tell the truth. I mean, if you really listen, it's like so obvious. Right. And, and then, you know, when they call out and say, hey, you don't want to debate us on the actual issues, thus the distraction. Right. So I think it's just really important for us to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm really excited even just being an educator, seeing the types of stories that my students are telling and feeling more empowered to tell their stories. Because I do feel like I remember coming to film school and remembering that people would quickly kind of try to get in the box and do what they thought we were supposed to do and then having to kind of find their way Mm -hmm. you know or having a lot of you know filmmakers of color not even attempt to tell a story about people of color they would just immediately cast white and it was like and and not to say that that's terrible but why is it your instinct why wouldn't it be your instinct to have a mixed cast like your group of friends or to have you know a cast that looks like your family because it's a family mm-hmm. if it's a family why does it have to look like that family why can it look like your family right. or wh- again why couldn't it be a mixed family i don't see that as much anymore i feel like people are my students are firmly in their voices mm-hmm. and that's exciting to me and that i i definitely uh agree especially in terms of, of you know representation mm-hmm. and, and i guess the thing that worries me is 
I mean, sort of, sort of repeating myself a bit, but right. it's just this this idea that like, I mean, beyond just excitement, can this art bring about tangible change? Uh, beyond arts and entertainment can that yeah. expand into the real world and expand into the zeitgeist yeah well I think you know it's what is the intention of the work so I mean it's great that um, you know Jordan's work has has reached the masses but if you look at a work like When They See Us on Netflix mm-hmm. by Ava DuVernay and they're saying that that's you know it's being the one about the New York Five correct? yes yeah. it's about this uh, the Central Park Five oh Central five. Park Five excuse me yes mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people are having to resign from their jobs and people are having Mm -hmm. to be held accountable. And so and it's being watched all over the world. And Netflix, I think they're saying it's one of the most, you know, watched things that they have on Netflix. So, you know, it's a beginning and we just have to continue to. And the, the beautiful thing about that is that that work lives it lives in Netflix. So whenever you want to know about when they see us or you want to understand what it means to coerce, you know, how how do, you know, young people or how would a person be coerced into a testimony that is not the truth, convinced to come clean about something that they didn't do? You know, that, that, that film is there for you to watch how young black men or young black boys, children are treated in the justice system. Again, it's not a documentary, hmm. but it's it's an experience. It's for you to step into those shoes and feel it. Now, what you do with that feeling, you know, then that's where we have to. What are the action steps after that? Right. And there are activists doing that work. Mm-hmm. We're acting asking us to take action steps to call you know your representatives to put pressure on so it's a two-part thing um and it's interesting because my brother and i we debate about this sometimes about you know certain writers or you know artists who feel pessimistic and then where he was like but if you're not gonna do the activism work and i'm like i don't actually agree with that i don't think that the artists themselves have to do all of the activism work mm-hmm. i think it needs to be a partnering like we have to see the work and then the activists and the rest of us have to do something about it so right. yeah we have to coalesce and organize around those messages and and put some action steps together right. yeah well uh, I yeah, I could not agree more. <laughs> um, I think we're just about out of time here. Okay, but this was a a great conversation. A, <laughs> definitely Yay. one for the books. I think. Um, if if there's, a, do you have anything coming up on the horizon? Any projects that uh, you can speak on right now? Oh or could I speak on it? Mm. Um, I'm writing. I won't say too much about it, but I am writing this really interesting um short film that is inspired by um, the John Biggers Lowenfeld story. John Biggers is a painter and he um, has been incredibly prolific and he's an educator as well and has inspired many artists. But one of his mentors and professors at Hampton University in the 1940s was Lowenfeld and Lowenfeld was a a refugee, a Holocaust refugee. Mm-hmm. So it's really an interesting marriage between in that and that those relationships because you had a lot of those um 
you know, academics and professors who were seeking, you know, refuge in the United States and they were finding their jobs at historically black colleges and universities. And so Lowenfeld, you know, was just revolutionary, you know, in many ways, but one of his um, perspectives, you know, was just about empowering their voices and their expression and really having students. um, So it's interesting we're talking about that, right? right? Because this is like in the 40s. This is happening on the safe space campus of a HBCU, Mm -hmm. Hampton University in the 1940s. So... Yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. But it's a short film. So I'm on a team of uh, very creative and wonderful people. And so I'm excited to be contributing to that right now. Right. And is there a working title for that? Or is there... Right now, it's just like the untitled Biggers Lowenfeld (laughs) project. But it's it's very early um, in the beginning phases. I'm writing it as we speak. I see. Yes, yes, right. You have the typewriter (laughs) out right now. Yes, (laughs) Um, yes. But... uh, yeah, well, Disha, thank you so much. Also, if, um, if there's any UCI students listening, I, I mean, I definitely, speaking from experience, I definitely encourage them to take courses taught by you. I will be taking more again in the coming year. I can't um, wait to have you back, Paxton. I can't <laughs> wait to be back, Disha. Uh, could you just uh, let people know what you're going to be teaching so they can keep um, Okay, so this year I'm teaching, I hope I'm saying this correctly, but I will be teaching Writing TV 1, Writing TV 2, Intro to Development. So those are all screenwriting courses, just because mm-hmm. sometimes people don't understand that that's what it is. But we're using the television format for Writing TV 1 and 2 is in the drama format, the one-hour drama format, and the intro to development is about developing a comedy project, a half-hour comedic, you know, now comedy is so broadly defined, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the half-hour project, and then I'm pretty sure I'm teaching acting and directing for camera, and also basic production, which is our in our uh, filmmaking series. Okay, great. So yeah, if you're registering for classes, uh, keep your eye out um, in those departments. Uh, Disha, thanks so much for coming on. Yes, thanks for having me, Paxton. Really appreciate it.